Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat and I've managed to get a cold in the hottest spell of summer we've probably ever had and it's episode number 66 the last episode in series season 2 whatever you call it um, yeah, and this week my guest is Jan Sesnik. Jan is an artist, a musician, and an, I suppose he's a bit of a crazy inventor. Um, I kind of imagine him a bit like this sort of uh, Doc Brown character from Back to the Future. Um, we talk about his studio and it's exactly how I imagined it, just wires and controllers and things uh, just kicking about everywhere. But I think that the conversation that we had is is a brilliant representation of how Jan's mind works. I think we just we were absolutely all over the place on a million different subjects, but all were absolutely fascinating, and we managed to find some really interesting things to talk about in the corners of um, potentially really boring subjects. And I think sometimes that's what Jan does. Um, for any of you who have seen his Petra Kuchas, um, I mean, one was on Lothian buses, another one on Edinburgh trams, and the third one on competitive race walking. Yeah, he manages to find real joy in subjects that you might think are pretty mundane. Um, and I think in his projects, he, he sort of brings some amazing things to life. And we talk about how he puts restraints on himself when he goes through projects, um, and a few other sort of fascinating aspects to that. And we also talk about, um, well, he's a lecturer at Abate, so I talk about his sort of thoughts on education. Um, and, I mean, he makes the point, an interesting point about how we just shouldn't be preparing, we shouldn't be trying to prepare students for industry anymore. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a really fascinating um, point. And I think, yeah, the, the, he's got, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we should be creating students that are just, better creatively, uh, better all round that appreciate what a good idea is, how to create a good idea, how to pick up those, those skills themselves and become a better rounded, uh, a better all round creative I suppose so I won't ramble on anymore about the episode um, but before I do go yeah so the one thing I wanted to, to bring up is that um, I'm actually going to be starting a second podcast that is completely different to to creative chit chat. I probably mentioned this a few times though now, um, but myself and Lyle Bruce started a design studio uh, called Agency of None, um, and we're going to create a podcast um, for the studio that's very much going to be focused around design and having a sort of critical voice on design and having in-depth discussions about uh, pieces of design or projects or bits of work and looking at breaking them down um, thinking and looking at the process of design um, and giving our opinions and our thoughts and our insight into how this thing has been created and then um, yeah, take a critical eye over it and look at how maybe we would done things differently, how we could improve the end output um, and how we would change things um, and I think it, it's something that we need to do more as a city in Dundee um, I mean we have this title of UNESCO City of Design so we should really be talking, discussing um, and shouting about design a lot more than what we currently do and I think this is one of the ways we want to do that is to start really start the conversation about design um, and do it through the podcast format um, and what we're going to be doing is depending on the subject matter um, we're going to be bringing people in as well to that conversation um, and then hopefully that's only the starting point so some of the points that we do bring up that we will then go on and expand and talk to people more about um, and potentially bring those things into future episodes so that's the plan um, the podcast uh, again doesn't have a set launch date um, but uh, I'll put it out across all the, the creative chit chats. So it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram and facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, that's the best place to keep up to date with this podcast. Um, and I will let you know when that second podcast is going out. It will be called No Opinion. Yeah, so coming soon. But yeah, that's the intro for this week and the end, the last intro for the second season series, whatever. 
But yeah, let's get into the episode. It is number 66, and this is with Jan Sesnick. I've lived in Scotland now for um, almost 11 years, I think. Actually, yeah, definitely 11 years. And part of that was um, I was even there here a bit longer as a student, which I think doesn't really count uh, when you're living in a place. <laughs> but as a non-student, uh, about 11 years, which is uh, pretty amazing to think about. It's certainly the longest I've lived anywhere as an adult. Um, I studied, I did my master's in, in Edinburgh in sound design. Um, I still live in Edinburgh, but I've, Dundee has featured quite heavily in my, especially professional life. Uh, throughout those 11 years. I think maybe the, the, <laughs> the kind of the, the interesting origin story of my link with Dundee is the first job I ever got after my master's as, as a kind of official, you know, diplomaed uh, resident of the UK. And um, I was, I decided to try to live and work in Scotland. And the first job I got, I met with a great composer who I still am in touch with and just saw the other day named John Harris, who lives in Edinburgh as well. He gave me a call and said, hey, would you like to meet up? And he'd seen that I kind of liked to make musical things and that I could kind of put my hand to a number of different instruments. And he, we had a coffee together and he said, I, I'm, uh, I've been commissioned by the Dundee Rep to be their composer for the new play for the winter. Uh, it's, it's called a panto. Uh, and it's it's Jack and the Beanstalk, and I, being um, half French, half American, don't I've never heard of pantos before. I had no idea what a panto was, and I went home and I uh, was very excited because it you know it was some crazy number of shows. It was like eighty two shows or something, and at the Dundee Rep, and it was a guaranteed income for a good few months. And theater pay is is great, especially when you're starting out. Um, and I went home and I, I, I spoke to my then girlfriend who uh, became my wife, but at the time, uh, and I said, oh, I've got this amazing offer of work and like actual proper work that will let me, you know, actually stay and, 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 and live and everything. And it's for a thing called a panto. Have you, have you heard of this? And uh, she just started laughing so hard and I had to look up what a panto was. And I found it at the time. I mean, I still find it fascinating what pantos are. As a foreigner, I think it's, I think it's easy for British people to take, take for granted what a panto is. Uh, it's a totally fascinating form, so medieval and just so kind of such a fascinating artistic form. Um, and so I played... I, yeah, I, I've struggled. I, probably in my memory, I've inflated the number of shows, but I think it was something like 80 shows at the Dundee Rip on stage for Jack and the Beanstalk. And it must have been 20... Oh, I don't know when it was. 2008, maybe? Or 2007. We'd so have to look that up. What was your role in that then? So I think the reason I was hired was because I can play a lot of instruments really badly. So I, uh, <laughs> I played uh, guitar, trumpet, piano. I did a little bit of... Uh, kind of sound designy, programming stuff, um, so maybe some percussion as well. Anyway, I was one of two musicians on stage, um, and uh, we were kind of off to the, the side of the stage. And I was actually the first person on stage at every show. Um, I was in classic panto style. The kind of traveling musicians would wander on stage and then get chased off by the baddie. Um, and so every every night, I was uh, or two shows a day sometimes, uh, waiting in the wings with my guitar. Uh, to kind of wander in while, uh, you know, 150 school children, um, screaming school children filed into the auditorium. It was a great experience. Um, and so like that being on stage and being sort of front and center, um, I mean, are you quite comfortable in that environment? I am. Yeah. I think, I think performance has always been a big part of what I do. So I kind of, um, quite naturally, uh, end up thinking in a lot of my projects like oh, how would how would this work in a performance or sometimes it frames the starting point of a, of a project um i i don't fully know why i mean may, i guess that comes from just playing a lot of music um for a long time and music is in some ways inherently a performance thing not entirely but it can be i think also uh i i think i struggle to speak to people a lot um, in social situations and I, in, in a lot of times I'm more comfortable playing, uh, or performing than I am, uh, being social, uh, which is, I think a common thing amongst performers. Um, so it, it, 
it helps give the impression of somebody who's very socially at ease when when I'm maybe not. I mean, I'm not, not neither am I wildly uh, anxious about social situations, but I don't think I'm, I do find it sometimes easier to play than, um, or to perform rather than, uh, than to just hang out. Um, so it's something that I naturally do and that I don't even actually really think about it as much, um, that much. I kind of end up just, okay, get it, you know, get up on stage, talk or play or make weird noises or whatever. And it isn't until afterwards that people point out like, oh, wow, how did you do that? How do you like, you know, be so weird on stage and not worry? And I'm like, wait, what do you mean? I was, <laughs> who's being weird? I, I don't know what you're talking so about. So what, what is it about that performance aspect of what you do that you really enjoy? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. And I'm, I, it's, I always, I always struggle to decide whether I do enjoy it or not. It just feels natural. Um, I, I, the, uh, I think part of it, I think is that it's like, you know, playing is a great way of improvising and you have to kind of make choices and you just have to go with stuff. And, um, that vibes quite well with my working methods anyway, just kind of like, okay, let's go ahead and just try this out. Um, and I think there's a really, I, th I think it's, it's, for me, it becomes less about the, it's less about the audience and more about what I'm like playing with. I think that's why a lot of my work ends up revolving around interfaces or instruments or things that I'm playing with. Um, and that's the stuff that really interests me. It's like, oh, how am I going to use this object in this kind of weird set of limitations that I've set out for myself? And being on stage is one of those limitations because you have limited time and limited physical area and limited uh, sound systems or whatever, or lighting systems or whatever you want to say. I think I really like working with those within limitations. And I think um, performances are, are the ultimate limitation in a way. So, I mean, you... Having a look at what you've done, like the the backlog of projects is just ridiculous. Like, and <laughs> and not even in content, just in sheer volume of things that you've that you've done. And like, I mean, I, I'm interested to get inside the, your mind and sort of how those how those projects evolve over time. So from the point at which you you have an idea or you're sort of I don't know, given some funding or, or sort of the the, the sort of a very embryo of the start of a project. How does that for you go from the start point to the end point? It's, it's such a hard question to answer, but it's a good question. I like it, but it's, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I think my working method is, is a real mix between um, idealism or kind of, uh, you know, just concepts and then pragmatic choices. Um, I do... You know, nobody nobody creative likes to admit that they're you know following funding or they're following opportunities. But I you I, you have to everybody does, and I certainly do that. Maybe even more than most. You know, I I will have a constant list of possible things that I might like to be able to try to do at some point, and then I'll get funding for one, or I'll get a performance opportunity for one, and I'll just run with that. And that can be certainly disappointing in this in sometimes because it means that there are projects that I would like to do more that I haven't done yet um, but it also practically means that I'm able to do a lot of work which is really exciting and, and um, means that it, most of the time I look back on my work and I'm like oh wow I'm so glad I got to do all these projects so there there's that I mean how something goes from a kind of a, a, a core idea or a, a, the, the spark of an idea to a finished thing is it's it's really hard to answer. I um, so there are there breaking that down. Are there commonalities in your your process that that you recognize every time you go through a project? I think um, I, I probably yeah. I think I think I, which I guess then kind of leads nicely into like what or, or that's sort of reflective of what general themes I explore in all my work. I guess and I mean I think a lot of it is um, about finding things that make me a little uncomfortable or things that are a little making things a little more difficult um maybe that kind of ties in with my own work uh history as well i mean the first big you know digital techie musical creative arts project i did 
was when I was studying here, getting my master's, and I, I made a music hack software for the Nintendo Wii Remote, which got a ton of attention, and it was kind of it was a whole hilarious journey, which resulted in a number of <laughs> of of life moments, um, most of which I don't regret, and that was kind of predicated on this idea of like oh like making music effortlessly through lack of interface you know like motion control just move your arms and create some music and that ultimately became really like unsatisfying and i i ended up i think kind of revolting against that and turning and starting to do a lot of my work on 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 friction and resistance and making things slightly difficult and i think i have this little mind trick that i do a lot whenever i think of a concept i then try to think like oh what would make doing this extremely hard you know what would make what would make this really difficult um you know maybe it's also coming from my own kind of frustrations as a piano player you know or as a guitarist where like it's hard and playing instruments are hard you know and like i i it's it's hard to do that and it's and i think technologically and digitally and using all these kinds of tools that we have there's something most of the time making things really difficult actually raises really interesting questions and i think that's kind of like making things that make me uncomfortable is like so a good example of, of that is very recent projects i did um uh commissioned by sanctuary or sanctuary lab i think anyway the the um this festival in dumfries and galloway in the dark sky park really amazing amazing everything about it is so, that organization and festival is so 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 cool one of the coolest things in scotland i think and they um so it's there's no electricity there's no uh lights there's everything all the lights can only be red because of uh you know dark sky dark sky rules um and um <clears throat> i thought of that kind of like darkness thing and lack of light and i thought i oh, wouldn't it be interesting to make something with candles so some kind of sound linking with candles and there's kind of an interesting link there with churches and prayers and just a kind of historical thing. And so I thought, well, maybe um, I'll do something around prayers and I'll record people praying. And then when you press, when you light a candle, you hear, you'll hear their prayer. So um, that was kind of a nice idea, I thought. And I played around with it a bunch. And then I started Googling um, prayers just to kind of hear what different types of prayers sounded like. And I stumbled across this amazing subgenre of YouTube um, of prayer requests, which is people who are in a very tough, generally very tough period of their life, making a kind of selfie style YouTube video asking for prayers. And so it'll be like, you know, uh, my, um, my brother got arrested yesterday and he's a good guy, but he's, the devil has found him and I would, he really needs your prayers. His name is David and I would like you to keep him in your prayers tonight. So please pray for him. There are thousands of these videos, I mean, and they are so, so intense to watch. I mean, there are, there are people who are literally on their deathbed, like actually dying <laughs> and putting out prayer request videos. Um, and then, you know, a comment will say like, oh, I heard I heard he died yesterday. Like, wow, that sucks. And, and like, it's so, so intense. And there are also like, there's a, there's a really dark comedy part of it too, where you'll get, okay, there's one that I, I ended up finding where it was somebody, I don't remember the names exactly, but it was a woman saying, um, I, this is a correction prayer request video yesterday. I, I said that we should be praying for Margaret and, um, but I just, I, I got mixed up. That's her sister. The one who's in trouble is Barbara. So if, if you can actually send, uh, Barbara your prayers. And I just loved the idea that God was like funneling all these prayers to the wrong person. Uh, <laughs> like, oh man, she was just getting totally blessed by, but like, um, and watching these videos made me just so uncomfortable. Like it's so, is such a deeply powerful discomfort that I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know what? And, and w at what level? was your so why did that discomfort manifest well, itself well I, th that's a good question and i think that was why i felt like i needed to use them in the artwork because i was like why does this why is this so intense I'm, i don't really have an answer i mean i guess there's sort of a something about this sort of public religious display which inherently makes me kind of uncomfortable but you see those all the time and it's not really it was i think the personal level of it um for the final artwork i ended up only using videos that had been posted in the week before and that had close to zero views some of them had zero views and so there was something just inherently sad and poignant about them and it's just like 
this this powerlessness. Like you feel like, you know, in the age of, of being able to watch this video, you feel like I should be able to do something about this, but you can't, you, there's nothing you like this. This is, it's, this is like this request for power and change being sent out like a, like a message in the bottle, in a bottle into the ocean. And it's just like, wow, like, <laughs> it's so powerful. And But then there's no other message in a bottle. There's a sort of hope of the un unknown whereas <laughs> the you will know exactly how many people have actually watched that and then that's a, yeah. a a value which your success is then returned to you there's a, it's a value but it's it's a value whose whose uh kind of currency is imbalanced because it's like i see it and i see that value as zero but they will see oh i've got 12 views like maybe that'll okay. do something yeah and so I'm, it's, it's, I think that imbalance is, I find very uncomfortable as well. So anyway, the, what the artwork ended up being was a, when you lit a candle, you heard somebody's prayer request and you could layer a bunch of these prayer requests on top of each other. And when you blew them out, this, the sound would stop. So I was really pleased with that as a piece. I thought it worked really well. I used it again recently in a performance and, um, it was great. It still makes me uncomfortable even just to think about it. And I think there's. I think over the past few years, I've been working towards that more and more. And it's made me, it means I've, I think the work that that is resulting, it is becoming stronger. So it's, it's something I've been kind of, in retrospect, I realized I was kind of going for a lot of, of times in many of my recent projects, mm -hmm. uh, many of my historical projects. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but you, so I, I don't know if these two projects are connected, but you made a much more gamified experience using candles right <laughs> so are, are they are they related or well technically they're absolutely related um so i uh i um i recently started uh as a part-time lecturer at aberte which is another one of my dundee connections um i did a, i did my first art residency at aberte 10 years ago as well so kind of a long history with aberte and um but my recent position there has let me they've given me some leeway to just you know explore a few ideas and um i had this interactive sensors system using candles and i was like hey maybe i could make this into a game um and sure enough uh i made a um uh how did i describe it a a uh, a competitive candle lighting simulator game or a competitive candle candle lighting game no it's not a simulator because you are actually lighting the candles yeah a competitive candle lighting game um so it uses the same technical system but pits two people against each other to light uh candles or not light candles uh when the moment is when given instruction um so a somewhat less poignant project but a quite fun one in terms of physical constraints um which is something especially in game design i'm really fascinated by um you know you could i think there's a, a kind of a, a sort of a cheeky design thing a uh, design question that that kind of game brings up where you could play that game any way you want <laughs> you know you could you could give people flashlights or you could just uh you know cover them with your hands or whatever but by telling people they need to light candles it changes the game and they and they will light the candles and there's a kind of a one there's an interesting thing there about like yeah following direction <laughs> um and also it's just it, it also kind of flips the idea of lighting a candle on its head a little bit and turns takes something that is an inherently slow activity and tries to um impose a time constraint on it which i think is an interesting game design trick to kind of take something that is naturally one way and force you to try to do it a different way. And also the, the way that traditionally we interact with candles is it's, it is very slow. You, you, you light it, you see the flame, and then you sit back and observe. Yeah. Whereas this is like, no, you have to like, it's really fast paced, yeah. get it out, blowing the candles out, relighting. And then it's just a completely new way of interacting with something that you, has existed in your life for many years and you've never sort of treated it in that sort of way yeah exactly and i think um for me if I, where my mind goes is like oh, okay what else can we do with that you know is it like like what other things i mean i guess that's why like eating competitions are a thing right because nobody really wants to eat as much as possible in a short amount of time but the people that 
can can turn it into a competition, you know, or like, I don't know what other, I'm sure there are under kind of slow things. I mean, I recently did a talk um, at the Pecha Kucha here uh, about competitive race walking, which is the same idea. Um, it's in terms of interaction design and game design, it's the, that's sort of the subject matter I think I'm most interested in is, is this kind of imposing of slightly arbitrary limitations in order to design a game and like race walking is this kind of universally ridiculed sport um because it just looks really stupid and it's like there's it's it's this like odd thing where you're you have to go as fast as possible without running but if you're from a kind of game theory standpoint that's how almost every sport is designed you know it's like what football is football is hey you need to move this ball around but you can't pick it up like functionally that's basically the same as hey you need to go get there as fast as possible but you can't run but there's this kind of like for some reason it works in football and it doesn't work in race walking um but then it turns out i mean like most things if you delve into them they become just so fascinating because then it turns out race walking is this uh is actually a betting sport originally um it was uh, like greyhound racing, basically. It was it, it had its its origins in um, quite large amounts of uh, of um, sports betting. So you would kind of people would do competitive walking, but be have have wagers that they were walking for, and it's, it's, it, you would it was called pedestrianism, which is just such a great you know, such, such a great term. Um, but you're a sort of serial pitcher, kutcher, or you must have the record for the most in Dundee. I think I, I may, I may with with three. It's it's a small record to hold, and I hope somebody breaks it. I, <laughs> um, yeah, I've done three. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I don't know. I guess I guess I guess, the, I guess they people like them. I my f- thing. I think the thing I like the most is um, that Jillian and, and the team are very receptive to my. Um, own weird personal uh, uh, what's the word um, sort of uh, rule which is that um, I only want to do Pecha Kuchas on subjects that are not what I'm actually working on <laughs> so so the three I've done race walking is probably the one that's closest to the uh, actually actual work of mine um, the other two there we go the other two the first one was about the history of the branding of Lothian Buses, the public bus company in Edinburgh. And um, the second one was also public transport themed. It was about um, the slogan, a slogan that was used in the development of the Edinburgh trams, um, which was worth waiting for, which it turns out is uh, also the sl- a slogan for um, fundamentalist, fundamentalist Christian abstinence. Uh, because you're worth you're worth waiting for uh, so there was an interesting overlap there so yeah three fun pecha kuchas that i would <laughs> i would like to add. i have a list of potential pecha kuchas i would like to do and uh so I, whenever if jillian asks me again i'll just consult my list and pick another one off off of there i think i mean that's the beauty of, of pecha kucha that you sort of sit down and you never know really what people are going to talk about or what angle or how they're going to come at it and yeah. i think Often the most interesting ones are the people who are not talking about their day to day. They're talking about a, a, a tiny part of their life that you, they never get to really talk about. Yeah, there was a great one about ladders in the last one. I just that one was so 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 good. It was just excellent. And um, I'm I'm a big fan of of kind of minutia of of delving really deeply into a um, into an odd thing, an odd singular thing. Today I, I was reading about um, Simon Says as a game. Uh, totally fascinating really interesting it's like a totally international game there are versions in many many languages so so where does it originate well it's it's unclear i I didn't find a kind of origin of it but it's which is kind of an interesting thing like points to this being a fundamental part of our human human existence you know (laughs) it's like there's a version in basque you know and it's like basque is meant to be the oldest language in europe so it's like well okay that's there's kind of interesting and then there's interesting cultural things too like different languages will have um different phrases so in english it's simon says but in uh what was it i think in in um in arabic it's the general commands or something like that and in japanese it's the ship captain orders 
Um, and then there's an amazing, apparently there's an amazing version in India, Pakistan, and Germany. I don't know why those three countries, but where the premise of the game is based around the dichotomy of objects that can fly versus those that can't fly. I didn't understand how it worked, but I just thought that was a beautiful concept. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to to pull it back to to your your work and what you do, um, for someone who's never come across you, um, how do you describe yourself? God, it's something I really struggle with. I and I I think I I tend to go back to sound artist a lot um, because that's a term that can be used for a lot of things, which is nice. I like those kinds of terms. I. Um, and it means that I'm kind of playing with sound a lot, tends to be what I focus on. Um, or like digital media artist or something, but then I hate digital. I don't know. I I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess that's probably, and that, 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 is, that does seem to be where my work is going at the moment as well, is focusing more and more on sound and music and making things that kind of use sound or music or performance as the kind of medium for um playing with some kind of idea so yeah i don't know i, I always find that such a i think that's probably the hardest question and i <laughs> a lot of i mean i think a lot of times i i wonder whether not being able to define it very well is both it's it's simultaneously good and bad um just well, I mean, just even practically for my career, you know, because it means like, in a way, I'm a blank slate, and people can look at me and claim, you know, I've I've seen, you know, I can be called a game designer, or I can because I've been involved in making some games, or I can be called a musician because I played in some shows, or I can be called a sound artist because I've made some interactive sound things, um, and that's great, uh, but it does mean that I, I can. I feel myself lacking focus. <laughs> I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. Uh, it's. Uh, but it is kind of. Yeah, that's sort of one of the kind of core feelings I often have about my work. But then to move in all those different directions must be what keeps it fresh and interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, I'd. I wish I could say I was. I was um, like consciously moving in all those different directions. I, it's. I look back and I see, oh, wow, yeah, I did a lot of different things. And you were kind of linked by the ideas of interface and resistance and these kinds of things. But at the time, you know, it's just like, oh, right, I really like this little thing. Maybe I'll explore it. And sometimes it turns into a bigger thing. And that's great. Um, but, yeah, I think ultimately I like to play with a lot of different things. And I like to learn a lot of different things. I mean, that's... I think from the outside, people assume that I, you know, came at all of my work from the technology standpoint, which is like, I'm I'm glad I'm able to <laughs> to like give that impression of of knowledge. But I really I, I you know I didn't know how to code. I didn't know how to code until I needed to code. I didn't know how to build software. I didn't know how to build hardware. And that you know I I think if one of the core things I like to try to do is is learn as deeply about whatever I'm working on as I can. You know, if if and if that means like, oh what this idea um you know to um to make an interactive sound system, okay, that means I need to learn how to do this type of coding or this type of hardware or things like that. So I I do spend a lot of time learning things and then trying to apply what I've learned to <laughs> to some some specific project. So what does your the environment that you work within what does that look like? Um well I, on a very practical standpoint I've got uh I have my little studio in Edinburgh that <laughs> is um that's sort of my my work environment I have and in in some ways it 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 it's a good illustration of of my career like I've got one desk, which is uh, full of broken electronics, and that's where I kind of build physical things. Um, so uh, right now it's full of um, 
buttons and switches for some new instruments that I've building that I've been building, um, and some little kind of development boards for software that I've been designing. And then I have my kind of what I feel like is my main work desk, which is good listening space. I've um, kind of speakers and a synthesizer and a keyboard and and that kind of thing, and that's where I can make noise, listen to noise, um, and think kind of creatively and also do some practical work and then the rest of the studio is mostly filled with things that i've that i am currently exploring or have explored in the past so i have you know a thousand computer fans uh sitting in one corner from a project i did i have uh, a stack of screen prints that i worked on um i have box of hacked um game controllers that i was turning into musical instruments and so it, I like being surrounded by all those things because it means I can grab them and pick them up and and add them to whatever I'm working on or whatever I'm exploring at any given moment. Um, and then I'm very lucky to be able to be teaching at Everton now too, which is kind of a its own work environment and is is it is a very different thing. You know, teaching is something that I've done a lot of in many different ways over the past decade, and I think that's a really good working environment really good learning environment um so what what was it that led you to to take on that role at Aberté? well i think um i've done a lot i mean I, I did some very casual teaching there um after i did my residency or during the residency uh, which was great and it was a really interesting kind of just you know a practical thing to kind of uh, have some some good paid work and meet students and meet staff and things like that so that was really good um in between then and, and now, I did a lot of small teaching projects, so workshops with kid, younger kids a lot. I've worked in schools all over Scotland. Um, and it, it's such a good, especially with younger kids, it's so good. It's such a good way of keeping you on your toes. You know, it's like you can, especially with, with so talking about sound things or electronics or music technology, which was most of the workshops I was running, it helps me, it helps remind me why I find it so fascinating, you know, just talking about how the ear works, how does sound work, how does a microphone work, like this stuff is so fascinating to me. I think it's so, 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 so interesting. And then conveying that to a bunch of kids is, is, it's good. It reminds you of like why you find it fascinating. And then <clears throat> having to teach fundamentals is also just, it's so good to, to remind you like, and then it reminds you how much you can do with fundamental things, you know, doing making, uh, I did a, a set of workshops even very recently at Edinburgh Sculptural Workshop um, with young kids and making noises out of speaker cones and batteries. Very basic method for generating kind of interesting noise. But even that, just two days, three days of workshops with them generated all these ways I had not really thought about. You know, they put a ton of glitter on the speaker and then they, they launched these sounds and the glitter like made all these amazing patterns. It's like, I had never thought of that before. That's a really beautiful thing. So I think teaching at that level and at higher levels is just a really good way of keeping you keeping you going. And then, you know, universities have great affiliations. They've got good projects happening. And they've got, there is, I have a sort of love-hate relationship with institutions in general because I think they can move very slowly as well. But they, um, on, in the, when they're, when it's, a, when they're, the good part of institutions is really good. You know, it means that there's a lot of really good people and they have their connections to um, research projects or locations or all sorts of things like that. Um, so, yeah, overall, it's been it's uh, it's it's really good to have a kind of one foot in something like in, in some kind of institution like that. And then but I'm really lucky to be able to then still retain my own um, my own projects, my own work that it can be completely self-guided on or used to, to do, um, client work, which is like, I have, I, there's an interesting thing where when I talk about my work, um, either online or, or whatever, I think I, I, I end up having discussions where I realize people don't, people think I just like, am able to do my own projects all the time, <laughs> you know? And there's something great about like, you know, uh, keeping that, um, 
that uh giving that impression to people like i'm glad that it seems like i'm just like living this dream world of you know constantly just doing my own work and then selling it or something but like it's, it's totally far from the truth and it's just that the work there's tons of what could be classed as client work that i do that you know i don't really talk about publicly because it's not my work and it's not my place to talk about it publicly but i think from a kind of artistic um uh, sort of creative industries standpoint, I think it's probably really important that I do and that people who work in this industry do talk about that because it's like, okay, yes, I'm a sound artist. I'm currently working on an experimental set of musical instruments that, you know, manipulate sound in fun ways. And that's really cool. That's amazing. I'm so lucky. Also, I spent two weeks uh, building a uh, interactive glove for somebody else's project, you know, and they paid me for that. And it was a great gig. It was really cool. It was really nice to work with her. And, you know, it's, it's a really, it was, it was a great thing to do, but it wasn't my idea. Like it was, I made it, it's finished, it's done. And that is, it's, I feel like it's really important to say like, oh yeah, I did that. And I did it because sure, it aligned with my work. I felt like I was able to do it. It was not like, you know, um, soul crushing and it was quite interesting and everything and I got paid for it and that payment will you know pay my studio fees for a few months and it means that I can be a little more relaxed about spending a bit more time on this other project and if I look back the past 10 years I have dozens hundreds of things like that that you know I did from a pragmatic practical point of view which is kind of like what i was starting off by saying you know that my work is mix of idealism and pragmatic like you I, I get an opportunity i take it because it pays money and it's and it's close enough um to what i want to do that it helps me um yeah i mean i think that is true in everyone's life they are doing the things they have to do in order to do the things they enjoy yeah um and if that barrier and that line sort of moves into the ability to do things that you love that pays money mm. i mean the, the ideal is to always do things that you love and that pay you money but it's not realistic yeah um but if you can get that to 80 percent or 70 percent or whatever it can make your life so much more enjoyable and i think that's we're trying to force that line down at where we need to be pragmatic and where yeah. we can start to play and explore and, and have a bit more fun in what we do yeah i think i think where i start where i start seeing seeing danger where i sense the danger of it i think it, it actually just comes from the portrayal of in in public of how this stuff happened of, of how this stuff is shown you know like essentially on social media you know like i worry sometimes that a younger artist will look at how i talk on the internet or how people uh you know not that i'm constantly portrayed in the media but if that if you know how if somebody looks at looks up my work and they'll say man how does he do it he's just like it he does his he's just doing these wacky projects and it's like well yeah i'm doing wacky projects but also <laughs> like i'm doing that because I'm, I'm doing other work that is not wacky, you know, that is great. And I'm not complaining. It's amazing work. I'm so lucky. But like, it, it's, I, it, yeah, I, I, it's just a funny thing. It's, it's this kind of classic social media thing. I think of, of, you know, what, what people see is not, or what people show of themselves is not always reality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, and I, in the arts world, it's, it's something I, I wish we, I wish we could talk about it more. I wish people said that more but if you had that little description just at the end of like it was 12 projects that did this this and this that actually made this happen or like on a <laughs> on a holiday photo yeah um you have to put so it took me 600 whatever hours to save up the savings to actually make this happen yeah um, exactly just a bit of content a and real like, world content just out of frame is like a whole like garbage dump that you can't see and like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I'm going to jump back a mm -hmm. little bit to, I mean, we brushed on your, your teaching sort mm -hmm. of things and you talked about institutions. Um, so if, I want to ask you the question that if you had the opportunity to, to change educational institutions in terms of, of higher education, um, what, what changes would you make? Wow. Um, oh man, that's a really interesting question. I think, um, 
it's it's hard to generalize because every many institutions take things in different uh, have different strategies. I think from the creative standpoint, I would definitely like to see much less focus on um, preparing students for industry. I think that's a a real false or it's a red herring. I think because um, ultimately it it does nothing <laughs> like ultimately it, it neither prepares people for industry properly and also means that um, they have not necessarily developed uh, their own methods for working or creative ideas. Um, so that's, that's something that is the case only in certain is, is certainly not the case everywhere, but um, you know, I think uh, teaching you know, uh, very specific skills in order to create a certain type of creative worker who can go work in a company, I think is problematic because it means um, that we're not really focusing on, on on creativity, which is actually probably in a roundabout way, uh, a better way of, of, from a entrepreneurial, creative, eco economic standpoint. You know, I'd much rather see 50 graduates who can all do a bit of everything than um, 50 graduates who are, you know, 10 of them are focused on illustration or 10 of them are focused on uh, programming or whatever. Like, I think that kind of focus is, it doesn't really get anyone anywhere. I think I would much rather see much more, um, yeah, well-rounded um creative thinking, um, which I think art schools get a lot of grief, <laughs> um, but I think that is something that art schools have historically done very well, is, is kind of critical thinking um, and thinking, uh, like making creative and critical thinking into a, or embedding that into a set of learning, I think is, it'd be really good to see more of that. And then in practice, what that means is a lot more experimentation. You know, I think um, there's, I just don't think there's enough encouragement of experimentation. I think, you know, that's that's the time to make whatever you want, you know. And and it's actually, you see a lot of, of, um, of students being encouraged to work on very, uh, work very conservatively, which I think is too bad. Mm. I also think it's partly of what you talked about before it's that ability to, to pick up skills and to go and learn things so if you don't know how to code but you need to in order to create what you want then go and do that and it's the ability to, to go and pick that up or find that knowledge from somewhere or collaborate with someone to make that happen yeah and I think that's that's an attitude that's that can be quite pervasive really you know you see people thinking oh it's I uh, I want to make this game, but I don't know how to code. I was like, well, you know, learn. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's like as if people were just born knowing how to code. It's like everybody learns. You know, you learn how to do these things, and it, and I think um, it's. I I always feel a little frustrated when I hear that kind of thing. I'd rather people just learn how to do something badly than kind of be held back by not knowing or try to get other people involved to do it, and then creating these huge teams that are quite unwieldy. Um, they're all, I mean, that's it. There are plenty of people who are doing that too. So it's, it's not, it's not every, you know, it's not huge. There's plenty of DIY happening, which is really great too. So to round up, my, my last question is what excites you for the future? Oh yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I think what excites me for the future is more, um, Going back to what I was just saying, like more critical thinking, more um, people starting a bit, a bit more uh, uh, questioning things, becoming giving being given more of a platform. You know, th th there's there does seem to be uh, a little bit more healthy skepticism happening, especially in the kind of technologies creative space. Um, and I think that's that's really exciting. Um, I would like to see more acceptance of that <laughs> more acceptance of the the idea that um you know the role technology plays in our lives the role uh that we play the, the roles that we play with technology and and 
that those things can be questioned more. And I think that that's, yeah, that's being accepted a bit more now. And I think that can lead to some really interesting things. Um, that's kind of a lot of the work I'm doing now, I think, is about that. It's about, like, working out what is it that, what is it that, um, what should we break? You know, what what's the next thing? What are the things that we should be breaking right now? And what, what questions does that bring up for us? Um, I think I'm starting to see more people trying to break things, which is great. Um, well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank if, you. Um, if anyone wants to find you, uh, find out more about you and about the projects you've worked on, where do they do that? Uh, there are only a couple Jan Sesnecks in the world. Um, so, so if you Google, if you Google me, it's Y A N N S E Z N E C. Um, I talk relatively often on Twitter, but my website is uh, relatively up to date. JanSesnek.com. So yeah, oh, drop me an email. Say hi. Great, thank you. That was Jan. Um, thank you very much to him. And I hope that gave you a sort of insight into his how his mind works. Um, yeah, it's, it's complete madness. But um, yeah, phenomenally talented and prolific in terms of projects. I mean, his, his back catalog's just ridiculous bizarre and so diverse and yeah an amazing um creative um so yeah i mean that's it for season two um as i mentioned at the start of the podcast i'm going to be releasing um a second podcast um called no opinion um, as part of the design studio that myself and Lyle bruce run um, called the agency of none um, so we'll both be doing that podcast but we're actually doing a, a little side project collaboration type thing with Jan for that podcast um, which will be I suppose quite pivotal to it um, but yeah it's all getting kept under wraps at the moment but that will all be unveiled in the first episode of No Opinion um, but yeah unfortunately I don't have a date for that yet so do keep your eyes peeled Um you can follow at Agency of None on Twitter and Instagram. We'll uh, announce it there. And also on the Creative Chit Chat social media. So at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. And yeah, I'll keep you up to date on when that's launching and also um, when we're coming back for season three, which I expect will be around about the end of August. And hopefully I'll be cold free by then and I'll be able to speak normally. But yeah, until the end of August or whenever that may be, um, enjoy the sunshine and I'll catch you there.